Good morning. I'm Earl Stewart. I welcome you to Earl Stewart on Cars, a live talk show all about how to buy, lease, maintain, or repair your car without being ripped off by a car dealer. With me in the studio is Nancy Stewart, my wife, co-host, and a strong consumer advocate, especially for our female listeners. We also have Rick Kearney, an expert on how to keep your car running right. I dare you to ask a question that Rick can't answer about the mechanics or electronics of your car. Also with us is my son, Stu Stewart, our link to cyberspace through Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Periscope. Stu is also the spymaster director of our mystery shopping report. He dispatches our secret shopper weekly to an unsuspecting South Florida dealership. And now, on with the show. Good morning, everybody. We're back. Uh, You're how to not be ripped off by a car dealer team. Right here, live and in color on True Oldies Radio. Been hearing a lot of music this morning, and uh, we're not going to have any music now. We're just going to talk to you. Uh, we're going to email you. You're going to email us. We're going to text. We're going to post on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. And we're going to be uh, communicating like crazy for two hours. And we're going to help you uh, get out there in the world and buy a car, lease a car, maintain or repair your car uh, without fear. And we can really help. I think. Uh, uh, since this show's been on for the past 20 years, we, we've now are establishing a, a, uh, a bunch of vigilantes around the country. Now that we're international, we're looking for volunteer vigilantes. And a vigilante in the positive sense, we want you to volunteer to be an extension of this show to help people in your community uh, buy a car. If you do nothing more than refer them to the show or the blog, EarlOnCars.com. This, uh, this movement that we have going is really starting to get legs. I'm very excited about it. I think we all are very excited about it. Uh, I always remind you when we get started on the show that it's easy for me to pontificate, to stand here and talk and talk and talk. I have a tendency to do that. We all do. We, I think we're bubbling over in the studio here, the people I introduced earlier in the recorded introduction, Rick Kearney, Nancy Stewart, Stu Stewart, we're bubbling over with enthusiasm to, to try to help. Uh, we've been in the car business a long, long time. We have a dealership, and we've been, uh, this dealership, we've been operating for close to 50 years. And uh, so we, we, we've been there and done that. We've done it the wrong way. We're doing it the right way now. Uh, that's the reason I call myself a recovering car dealer, because I was born into the culture. My father was a car dealer. I was born into the culture, and I grew up... Uh, doing things the way I thought everybody did them. And uh, I'm not going to go through my enlightening, because you can read that in my book, Confessions of a Recovering Car Dealer, available on Amazon. All proceeds go to Big Dog Ranch Rescue. You can find out what uh, evolved in my mind to make bring me to the point now of being a consumer advocate for car buyers. And uh, here we are. Uh, your, your calls are so important. Uh, the telephone, the personal way to get through to us. We prioritize calls that come in to our switchboard because we don't want you holding for a long time. We, you know, plus the fact we only have three or four lines. And that number is, and I'm going to give it to you if you have a place where you can write it down, not the car, please, but if you're a place where you can write it down, the call-in number is 877-960-9960. That's 877-960. 960-9960. We also have a text line. That was the second thing we did on our uh, uh, technical evolution. We went from just a telephone to text because texting, you know, many years ago, 
started to usurp the uh, telephone. And it, it has, I believe, to a large extent. So if you want to text us, and you can write this down too, 772 area code, 772-497-6530. That's 772-497-6530, Texas. And uh, we will get through to almost all the text. Sometimes we let them wait. We prioritize, as I said earlier, the audio, the phone-in calls. And we have a really cool uh, input that nobody that I know has. I've never heard of a talk show. I've never heard of just about anybody other than some blue chip companies like Adobe and Amazon. They use something called anonymous feedback. And it's from a company called Incognito. And they screen and they protect the communicator. The communicator, when you communicate with us, we don't know who you are, totally anonymous. And you can go online to youranonymousfeedback.com. Your Y-O-U-R, anonymous, A-N-O-N-Y-M-O-U-S, feedback. Everybody knows how to spell feedback.com. Youranonymousfeedback.com. Say anything you want. Call me names. Call Rick names. Call Nancy and Stu names. Uh, we don't get much of that. It's amazing. I'm, I, when we first opened this anonymous feedback source, I figured, watch out. I mean, this is going to be rough. Hasn't been too rough at all. We get a few... Uh, candid, shall we say, comments, but most of it's constructive criticism, or uh, not just uh, criticism, but suggestions and ideas, and we use those ideas on the show, youranonymousfeedback.com. Now, I'm going to introduce uh, Nancy Stewart, my co-host, been with me on the show, He's a, she's a co-founder, and I want to salute her today, salute Nancy. Nancy had foot surgery on Wednesday at Cleveland Clinic. And she is in the studio. She's a real soldier, a real trooper. She got her foot up on a thing with a cast. And, and here she is because she loves this show as much as I do and as much as we all do. And she does something that hasn't been enough done enough of in this country. And I think you will all agree, or most of you, uh, uh, women's rights. Women become equal partners with men on this planet. And... Uh, and that's what she is on this show. She's not only very knowledgeable in the automobile business, but she's also a strong advocate, in particular, of women's rights. I know she's been talking a lot this week about safety of automobiles, and I know that's on her mind right now. Are cars as safe for females as they are for males, and if not, why? So with that, I turn the microphone over to Nancy Stewart. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. Our mystery shop, Guess what? It takes us to Tennessee this week, and it's going to be, well, very exciting. Also, for the ladies, you are an important part of the show, ladies, and you can win yourself $50 for the first two new lady callers. Give me a call and give us a call. Let me know how your service went, or maybe you purchased a new or a used car. Just share some information with us, and if you would just like to call to say hello, that's great too. The number is 877-960-9960, or if you want to text us, you can do so at 772-497-6530. I'm holding that sign up there in case uh, you're on Facebook or Twitter where you can see this. And uh, we also have our vigilante 
link if you want to become and volunteer to be a vigilante. Absolutely. Uh, and, and ladies, uh, you're an important part of the show. We're building a platform here that's pretty important. And uh, with the uh, continuation of speaking to the ladies, you know, every week, uh, you know, whomever might call this morning, uh, you're encouraging the ladies that are, well, watching us on Facebook or YouTube. And, uh, you know, maybe they'll, you can spread that you know, encouragement, and they may call. Again, that number is 877-960-9960, or you can text us at 772-497-6530. I feel weird sitting over here. I feel like I'm in another building. How you doing, Stu? <laughs> okay, uh, com. And I can't see you, Jonathan, but am I close enough to the mic? <laughs> five by five. <laughs> okay. Now back to the recovering car dealer. Well, thank you. I, uh, I'm going to uh, turn the mic over to Stu. He's my son, general manager of our dealership. Uh, he's a hands-on expert. But what he's most famous for is being our spy master general. He dispatches undercover agents into the field. And Stu's very excited about our mystery shopping report this, this week because, well, Mystery Shopping Report is the most exciting part of the show. We literally have an undercover agent go in and pretend to buy or lease a car, and they report blow by blow. They name names, dealerships, salespeople, sales managers, exactly what happened. Did the dealer break the law? Did he obey the law? Did he, was he ethical? Was he unethical? Did he use bait switch in advertising? Did he not? And then we compile a good dealer, bad dealer list. And I'm gonna let Stu tell you the rest, but we have a we have a particularly exciting mystery shopping report we've never had before. That's right. Stu, and uh, Nancy, she is yeah, signaling be me. Before you get started, <laughs> uh, Howard, hang on just a couple more seconds. Stu has some great information to share with you. Howard, audience. I will make it brief. Uh, I'm really excited, as Earl mentioned already. Uh, two weeks ago, we had planned to bring you our record-setting uh, long-distance mystery shop. Um, all the way up from the Nashville area in Tennessee, Agent Lightning uh, was on a very special long-distance mission. And if, if you've been paying attention to the news, last week we had massive winter storms over most of the United States, and Tennessee was smack dab in the middle of it. Everything shut down, including car dealerships. So uh, Agent Lightning bundled up, got warm, and waited for her, her for the thaw. <laughs> and as soon as it got a little bit warmer, she went back out there and took care of this mission. So uh, it's really exciting, and I'm not going to give anything away other than it's not anything like we expected. <laughs> yeah, it's so, going to go down as one of the most different yeah, reports. Yeah, yes. let's, let's be as vague as possible so people tune in. <laughs> All right, Howard, we're ready for you, I think. Okay, thanks, Stu. Um, Howard, thank you for waiting. Good morning. Good morning. I hope everybody's fine. It's a beautiful day today. And uh, my question is, uh, it's not a question, it's actually a statement. Uh, I think that Genesis did a very good job in saving uh, Tiger Woods. Now, uh, I'd like Rick to explain exactly how many airbags there were and how they actually cushioned him. Uh, and is it because it's a, uh, it was a, uh, the flagship um, um, car in the, uh, in, in the Hyundai that uh, was protected that way and would, uh, let's say, uh, um, a, a lesser car uh, 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 have as many airbags? Uh, and uh, how was how the Genesis compared to the Hyundai? Is, it, uh, is the Genesis safer? Or, 
Or was it that it was an SUV and it was safe? So, uh, Rick, uh, take it away. H Howard, it was seven, seven uh, airbags that, uh, that went off. Anyway, yeah, back to Rick. I want to know exactly where they were placed. Uh, truth be told, I'm not very familiar with how many total airbags are available in a lot of the different models. But I can say that pretty much every manufacturer, they are packing these cars with airbags anymore. Hmm. Um, granted, the higher level cars will quite often have more airbags than the lower levels. Uh, like Toyota, for example, you've got driver's side airbag, passenger airbag in the front. You've got a curtain airbag on each side. You've got knee airbags that pop out to protect your knees. Uh, some cars in the back seat will have airbags in the back seat itself designed to actually push your legs up and back in order to force your body back into the seat as well, even in the back seat. Uh, there are side seat airbags. Yeah, there were exactly out. seven airbags in that car. That's how many were in that Genesis. Well, that's how many blew. I, I'm not yeah. sure how many were in well, the I, car. Was it seven? You, if you saw a picture of the car, yeah, they all blew. They, they all went out there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and not surprising. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it comes down to the idea that safety in cars now has reached a level that almost any new car is designed to, to basically crumple and fold and protect the occupants at all costs. Yeah, I thought the media kind of missed the ball on that when they were announcing it. They kept focusing on the terrible condition of the car and how could he su survive, which is okay as long as you go on to say that it's the, the worse a car looks today in 2020-21 uh, is the safer the car. Compressibility of the front end uh, and the back end. The, the passenger compartment, if you notice, if you look at the pictures, uh, was pretty much uh, untouched. Uh, Tiger had uh, some injuries, but very minor not minor to him, but they were minor compared to the intensity of the crash. And I think when they come out with the speed, after they get the black box and measure the speed, uh, they will realize how, uh, what a miracle it was. And the miracle was due to the design of the car. The Genesis is a Hyundai. I found it also interesting mm -hmm. that the, me the media never referred to it as a Hyundai, but uh, two years ago it was a Hyundai, and then they made the Genesis a separate car. It's kind of like Lexus. A lot of people, the manufacturers don't want people to know the Lexus is built by Toyota. Infinity doesn't want to know. Buyers to know that's built by Nissan. And Acura buyers don't want you to know uh, that it was built by Honda. So it's a luxury image thing. But it's mm -hmm. a Hyundai. So congratulations to Hyundai uh, for building an amazingly safe car and saving Tiger's Wood, Tiger Woods life. And, and just imagine, had that been a similar size SUV, that instead of being a, a, a brand new car nearly, suppose that had been a car from like 1995. The odds are very good that he would not have survived that accident. Very right. much so. Um, uh, Rick, whenever you talk about the um, airbags, you talk, you mentioned, I heard you say knee. Um, are you saying that the bags were, the airbags were located right around that area to protect his knees? They're actually, uh, on most of the newer cars now, they're in the dash down low, so basically right at the level of your kneecaps, and they pop out of the dash towards your knee so that your body is not going to slide forwards and it protects your knees and lower legs. Yeah. You, got that, you, you got that in your car, Nancy. Yep. 
And, um, you know, also they um, really investigated this in the speed that he may have been going to. All that is going to, you know, uh, be in the black box. But what a difference between 10 miles, whether you survive, you know, if you're going 40 or if you're going 50, all likelihood you won't survive if you were going 50. Uh, but I firmly believe that the inside of that Genesis really protected them. The airbags, the seatbelt, let's go back in yep. time. Whoever thought, you know, there are people still on the road who don't use their seatbelts. Thank goodness he had his on. And by the way, as a matter of fact, those seatbelts also play another part because they'll have what's called a pretensioner. At the moment of impact, this actually is a, uh, an explosive charge in the seatbelt that pulls the belt back tight to strap you harder into the seat. Because uh, you'll see like race car drivers, um, the uh, airplane pilots, they're pulling those straps down super tight on their body so yeah. that their body does if not I move lean around forward, in the If seat. I lean forward too fast in my car to adjust the radio, the pretensioner stops me, then I have to back up and move forward that's slowly. A, well, that's, that's a force limiter. That's Yeah, that's the force limiter. But the pretensioner, it, when it deploys, it goes off literally with the sound of a shotgun shell yeah. And it yanks that seatbelt back so tight yeah. that that seatbelt will never move again. Yeah, well, functionally, it's the same thing. They're keeping you Similarly, from moving yes. forward. Yeah. Yep. Oh. You have two, two preventions, and very scientific, very high-tech, very effective. And uh, Howard, great question. We are, we are all, everybody in America and the world knows about that accident. And hopefully, it will make, raise the uh, awareness of the safety of cars. And I hope yeah. the Genesis, the Hyundai Genesis, gets credit for building a great car. Okay, then. Great information. Thank you very much, and have a good day. Thank you, Howard. Thanks. Thank you very much, Howard. Uh, our number is 877-960-9960, or you can text us at 772-497-6530. And ladies, uh, there's still time for you to give us a call. Uh, share your story with us, uh, anything at all. Call to say hello and uh, you can win yourself $50 first two new lady callers. We're gonna go to Dog Walker Dave from Palm Beach. Dog Walker Dave. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Good morning. How Good are morning. everybody? Yeah. Listen, um, I have a, a guy I'm doing some work for in his garage, and uh, the shelving on the walls was uh, sticking out so far that he couldn't get his Tesla uh, all the way into the garage without, well, he just has a lot of trouble parking this car anywhere. Huh. And I was wondering with these autopilot parking features, if there's something that can be uh, incorporated into the, the, the system, the program on the car to auto park the car in a garage much like they would park on the street. That is a great idea. That, they don't have that. They have auto park, but uh, it's uh, parallel parking, and I'm mm -hmm. not sure every garage would be a little bit different, but uh, I'm sure the technology now is available with cameras that it could customize an auto park and do exactly what you're saying. Rick, you have something. As a matter of fact, uh, a hobby that I'm into is flying drones. And the drone that I have has collision sensors that actually can see something as small as a tree branch and avoid it. So I don't see why they couldn't simply install those same simple collision sensors that 
exist in a, a, a $900 drone, yeah. they could put those in those cars easily, and it would be able to see those shelves yeah. and stop before hitting them. And, and, and then as you were saying that, and after what I said, and talking to, to Dave here, one of the problems is I think we get excited. Uh, I know we do on this show, I think engineers, design engineers, the manufacturers, and of course the guys that run the dealerships, I mean the uh, manufacturers, because they want to have the edge on the competition. And they keep coming up with these great ideas. They're very high tech, very technical, and the more complicated, and they're complicated. So the more complicated oh, yeah. you make these cars, the more difficult it is on the user, you Dave, the guy that drives the car, and pretty soon, and they are, we're, we're there now. They're so complicated now that, I don't know what year model you drive, Dave, but my guess is you probably don't know how to use all the functions on your car. Maybe you don't care to know. You probably haven't read the owner's manual. And the average person that buys a 2021 or 2020 car probably knows less than half of the features on the car. Yep. And the more we add, the more difficult we make to make to drive the car, which is the fundamental purpose, uh, to be able to get from point A to point B. Anyway, I didn't mean to run on, Dave, but that's, a, that's such a great idea. Yeah, it uh, would come in really handy for this poor guy. He, uh, he's a two-car garage, and of course they are putting two cars in it. But the poor guy keeps knocking the mirror off of one side, trying to get in and out, they back into the garage instead yeah. of pulling straight in because their driveway is a little difficult to back out into. Yeah. And it just occurred to me that, you know, something like that, I mean, even if it was a, I don't know, like a do-it-yourself sensor kit, once you get the car in the right spot, you put some markers or something down on the garage floor that the car would 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 understand and place itself in exactly the same place every time, something like that. But It's going to happen. Anything that you can yeah. imagine, Dave, and this is a, not a dream thing, this is a real thing. If you can imagine it today, it will occur in the not-too-distant future. Rick? I have seen one low-tech solution on something like that where a fellow basically just took his wife's car, she was having issues getting her car lined up properly in the garage, so he put her car exactly where he wanted it to be, took a tennis ball that was brightly yeah. colored, hung it from a string, and to where it was just touching the windshield at a certain point, and he told her, when you're driving in, you line up that tennis ball at exactly this spot on your windshield, and when it just touches, that's it, you're there. That would be, you know, uh, the first choice, but like I said, these people are backing their cars. Right, so you'd, you'd simply back it in and line it up to have the tennis yeah. ball, or maybe one on each side, just to touch the back window at a certain point. How about a soccer ball, would that work? Well, that would work too, although I would I would color it brightly, bright, bright colors. Dave, thanks very much. Uh, you're thanks. a great caller. and say, say hi to your doggy for us. Does, does he listen to the show too? Well, they all do. I walk up on the dog. <laughs> oh, how sweet. <laughs> thanks, Saturday, Dave. Saturday morning, we're, we're committed to Saturday morning. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Give us a call again, Dave. Yeah, please do. Okay. And, you know, uh, this advice that Rick gave out, he gave us 14 years ago. You remember that day, oh, yeah. that moment? Yeah. <laughs> Just teasing. He did give us that information, though. Hey, uh, if you're listening, give us a call.
877-960-9960 or you can text us at 772-497-6530 ladies you still have time fifty dollars for the first two new lady callers now back to the recovering car dealer let's go to Stu. we cut him off earlier and also you probably got some text or anonymous feedbacks yeah i don't want to give too much away about our mystery shopping report from murfreesboro tennessee <laughs> but uh we can jump into some texts they've been accumulating uh and we give the honor every week to uh Anne marie for the first text so here's from Anne marie good morning i hope that everyone is well and wish that tiger woods has has a speedy recovery the photos of the genus gv80 that he was driving shows that the suv was crunched up and mangled but the passenger compartment appeared to be pretty much intact. Right. That prompts me to say thank you to all the unheralded engineers, designers, and others who have created all the various safety features on today's vehicles. You've enabled people to survive what would have previously been fatal crashes. Hooray for safety features and the people who create them. Amen to that. I remember when cars only had sides and sheet metal um, to protect the, the occupants. They did not have seat belts of any kind. Incredibly, they were grumbling about Big Brother when lap belts were finally required in new cars back in the 60s. That attitude held sway for a long time. I walked into a Plymouth dealership in 1978 and asked about the safety features on their new cars. The salesman looked at me as if I had two heads and was speaking Martian. He basically told me, safety doesn't sell. I walked right out. <laughs> when and why did automakers and dealers start taking uh, uh, safety measures seriously? They obviously did because nowadays we have seat belts, multiple airbags, traction control, analog brakes, backup cameras, all-wheel drive, self-parking cars, blind spot indicators, collision avoidance systems, etc. What is the dealer's perspective on safety features over the years? Thank you. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Well, nice thing about being an old guy, I've been there and I've done that, and I, I'm ashamed to tell you, again, this goes into my recovery as a car dealer, back when they introduced seat belts, and I was in the business then, uh, when they had to do seat belts. We hated seat belts. We thought it was an annoyance. Uh, they were just not, they didn't retract. They just lay there on the seat and uh, they, they, you know, they get, they get stuffed down. And every time you move the car on the showroom floor, you had to stretch them out and make them look neat. Then they get messed up again. So a lot of times dealers would just hide them. So you'd buy a car and you never knew you had the seat belts. And uh, there was no rules or laws on seat belts. And we just thought it was an annoyance. Then we really got mad when they came up with airbags. Airbags cost a fortune at that time compared to the cost of the car. I mean, you could buy a new car back in the 70s and late 60s and 70s for three or $4,000. And so even though a seat belt was only 50 bucks or whatever it was, percentage-wise, that was a big piece of change. And why spend that money on a stupid seat belt? Airbags were like $1,500, forget about it. And uh, we hate it, we fought as dealers, the dealer associations, National Automobile Dealer Association, every car dealer, we hated airbags. And um, <laughs> how ashamed should we all be that we're, that we're fighting those so many years ago? I mean, how many millions of lives yeah. have been saved worldwide? How many tens of millions of lives? Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, education and awakening and all businesses are an amazing things too. Yeah, when I, when I first got into the business, um, all they had was just the driver and passenger airbag and then side airbags started to come out. But the manufacturers all made them an optional thing because it was expensive. So it was yeah. to get side impact airbags and the seat bolster airbags. Um, that was something you'd probably probably $700 to $1,000 for that option. And I just could not understand it. And I remember I was, I was selling cars as a salesperson 
and um, I would present this as an option, and hardly anybody ever took that up. Even the even yeah. the customers would rather take their chances and not spend the, the extra money. And it was only in the you know in the following you know ten years or so where it became standard equipment. Now they realize that uh, contrary to Anne Marie's salesperson in 1978, the safety yeah. does sell, and it's demanded by consumers. And if you don't have a car that has, doesn't have all the safety equipment you're not going to do well. And the other awakening we had uh, from the old days, the dark ages of we don't understand or care about safety, we thought that the thicker the metal on a car, the heavier the car, the bulkier yeah. the car, the safer the car was. We didn't understand that compression absorbing energy saves lives. And so you go out there and buy the biggest, uh, thickest steel, heavy car, terrible gas mileage. I was a, one of the few, a checker franchise. You remember the checker? Uh, cabs in New York, and uh, you could actually sell those. After Checker uh, uh, went out of business, they began manufacturing Checker cars, and these were like a tank. I mean, I don't know how thick that steel was, but boy, I, I used to say to my customers, you want to talk about a safe car, meaning what it really means when you tell them that, that means in a car with thinner steel, you could just crush that car. You know, mm -hmm. so, yeah. top, so, top speed was 45 <laughs> miles an hour, and got four miles to the gallon. Well, I didn't understand <laughs> then, and uh, and I, I guess maybe after I majored in physics in college, I realized that just because you have a thick steel around you, when you hit something hard, it transfers right it's to the you. impact, the transfer of the energy uh, crushes your body. Uh, whether the steel crushes or not, you die quicker, and then we figured out, then well, let's make it like an accordion thing, and that's what you saw in Tiger Woods' accident, that Genesis just c collapsed like an accordion, absorbed all of the energy, or most of it. And uh, I know he was injured seriously, but he's alive, and he would have been dead had that not happened. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Let's, okay. Uh, let's go to John, who's calling from West Palm Beach. Good morning, John. Hello. How are you? Hi, John. Uh, yeah, hi. Um, I wanted to comment on the gentleman who was, um, I got halfway through the uh, conversation there, about pulling into the garage and hitting the mirrors. Yeah. Uh, having, okay. Uh, and he's wanting sensors so that, the, you know, for his neighbor, whoever it was, there's a quick fix until they get those sensors. What you do is you take your car, you pull it into the garage, the, you know, where you want it. Mm -hmm. And then what we've done for people is uh, you take a string and a tennis ball. You hang it from the ceiling, let the tennis ball touch the windshield, and then when you pull into the garage, you follow your nose to the tennis ball, and you know exactly how far to pull in and how far to the right or left you need to go. And uh, when you when, when the windshield hits the tennis ball, you're safe. You're well, that, you know, that's a great idea, John. I, Rick had mentioned that earlier. You missed that, but oh. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it again because... Uh, people tune in and tune out of the show, and uh, this is yeah. something that could save you probably 500 bucks for having to buy some sort of fancy dancy, uh, you know, radar or uh, lidar or some other high tech expensive yeah. item. But a ten tennis ball hanging from the string is an old fashioned. It takes you, what, 10 minutes or five minutes, and uh, you can even use a golf ball or a soccer ball. <laughs> Oh, very good. All right. Yeah, I caught the, like I said, I caught it halfway, so I didn't get yeah. something on it. Thanks very much. That's, a, right. that's a great suggestion. Right. Oh, hey, by the way, uh, I purchased my Genesis from you, used, uh, and I tell you what, I have the sensors. You know, there's, the, there's a little button. You press it, 
and it lets me know if I'm too close to something all the way around the car, whether yeah. I'm backing up or on the side. And sometimes I have to turn it off because it continues to beep and beep and beep while I'm at a drive-through. Well, that helps you at Publix and Costco, doesn't it? You know, when someone's uh, going along behind you, you can't see them at all. I love that most that yeah. uh, proximity detector. I think they call that. Yeah. Great feature, the, but it does have that radar all the way around. And, uh, Amazing, yeah. It's just, it's nice when you have high tech stuff that you understand, know how to use, and that's one of them. I, we really appreciate your call, John. Thanks. All right, bye. Bye bye. Give us a call again, John. We love talking to you. 877 960 9960, or you can text us at 772 497 6530. You know, we're talking a lot about safety features and uh, what we used to not have. Uh, but uh, it's really interesting, sort of, well, upsetting, uh, that there hasn't been that much testing uh, done with, uh, for females. And uh, it, they've come out with some amazing numbers of how a female can survive a crash compared to a male. And uh, it, it's just, uh, you, you would think that the, you know, the Consumer Report, National Highway Safety, uh, National Highway Traffic Safety uh, would have, you know, by now uh, done a whole lot more. So uh, that leads me to a story uh, that uh, I believe, uh, this is, uh, Earl found this story uh, just this past week in the USA Today, and uh, we're moving forward um, in this uh, auto industry and we're recognizing the fact that uh, you know 50 percent of women you know are right there either purchasing uh, leasing uh, whatever they're there so here um, is uh, an article about a senior design release engineer uh, Sandy Jackson and um, it's, it's just an amazing article as to how safety features are put together for this uh, Buick out there in Detroit, and uh, Earl, I think you read this article, didn't you? Yeah, the Buick, uh, this model Buick that uh, yeah, was featured in the article, uh, you can probably find it, I forgot what it was, but as the highest percentage of female buyers. There was, fi excuse me, 56% yeah. of females owned this Buick. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. if you can look up that, uh, you got the article there, this particular model Buick uh, uh, is number one of all import, uh, export, <laughs> every model, and the reason is because they have a female design engineer. And here's the really interesting part. This female design engineer at Buick, she's five feet tall. Five feet two. Oh, that's eyes cute. Are blue. Shouldn't have said that. But uh, small women are smaller than men. You know, the men are different than women. And it hasn't been acknowledged or recognized by design engineers. Buick was smart enough to say, hey, Let's see if she can, uh, we'll, get, we'll get a woman design a Buick. And then she did, and guess what? Number one among women is this particular Buick. And she, she was quoted in the article, she says, I get in the car and I want to be sure that I can reach everything. And, and she's five feet tall. She wants to be comfortable, that she can see the visibility. How many complaints, Rick, Stu, and Nancy, do we get from our customers that say, you know, can you adjust my seat because I can't see something. I can't see the dash. I can't see out the windshield right. And we tell them you have to use a cushion because legally we can't adjust a seat. It's part of the safety feature of the car. So the manufacturers build the car for a man. Uh, I don't know what the average man is, probably five foot eight. 
and I don't know what the average woman is, probably several inches less than that. So why are all cars designed for men? It makes no sense. And as Nancy said, half the buyers out there are women. So yeah. How about all those little compartments that they have in that Buick um, that she, you know, as the engineer is responsible yeah. for? Yeah. Instead of things flying all over the interior of your vehicle, you know, she made it uh, just so convenient, organized, you know where everything is, it's out of your way, it's not going to endanger your drive, uh, but it is a very interesting article and what a genius she is because it simply is going to increase uh, the uh, traffic that goes into Buick. I mean, between Mar uh, Mary Barbara and uh, uh, Sandy, it's just uh, an amazing article about uh, females and how they can trust uh, that uh, particular vehicle. Okay, how are we doing on, I think we got a YouTube well, over here. From I think we got a really good segue to that topic. Okay. So this came, a text that came from Sarah A. Oh. She says, I've had a problem with cars my whole life. I am small in stature, and I have a very hard time reaching my door handle to close the door when I'm seated in the driver's oh. seat. It appears there are fixed distances the door is calibrated to stop at. The furthest position is too far, and this has been the case in every car I've ever owned. Can these positions be adjusted to make it easier for me to reach? And I, 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 I feel you, Sarah, because I'm 6'2", and on the widest yeah. opening on my car, <laughs> I got to lean out of the car to get it. I was really surprised when you shared it with me. Yeah. Because I was having the problem and I'm five foot two. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's that they design cars for medium sized people, but can you adjust those, Rick, to where they, you know how they, like, you open up a little and it stops and then you right. push it again and it that, stops again? That's called the door check. Okay. And unfortunately, no, there's, they're designed with just a, a midpoint and an endpoint. They're and designed that's for it. orangutans. <laughs> yeah. They, a lot of them, they, I mean, I literally have to get out of my car to reach my, door yeah buy a buick that's my advice yeah <laughs> that's probably probably the only one that model is the only one you can actually reach yeah, that's the case i think with everything you know up until the mid-20th century everything on earth was designed and by men for men yeah and so we're just just starting to see like see them and i can't think of anything off the top of my head but i mentioned there's countless other products and situations there that women were not considered when the product was designed yeah. and uh, if you think about it hard enough, I'm sure you can come up with something. Yeah, Sarah A, thank you so much uh, for that text. Don't be timid ladies, uh, you know you've been pushed around a lot uh, over the ages and uh, and uh, you, you, you know you've emerged but you're still discriminated against and ignored and it's not right so uh, Nancy especially would love to hear from you, we all would love to hear from you and the smart manufacturers like General Motors, hey, by the way, is it a coincidence that Mary Barra is the CEO of General Motors and Buick is the only, is the car that has the greatest number of female buyers? Yeah. Uh, it's not a coincidence. So uh, call in, let us have your opinion out there. And if you're a first time caller, 50 bucks, yep. ka-ching. Female callers, we have two, two rewards and Nancy will send you 50 bucks cash. No yeah. conditions. 877-960-9960. Yeah, we got a couple of YouTubes. Uh, Old Man J Motoring says, Good morning. When is the bubble going to burst on these high used car prices due to the pandemic? Any guesses? Uh, I think it's going to be coincidence when the bubble burst on the new car. Uh, they're kind of tied. You know, a lot of the supply we get from... Uh, from uh, uh, used cars is from new car trade-ins, and uh, you know it could it could work in reverse, come to think of it. But uh, 
it's uh, people coming to buy a new car, they end up buying a used car. People coming to buy a used car, they end up buying a new car. Uh, the, the surge in demand is, is working on both. I think that's keeping the used cars uh, available, actually, more so than you might think, are off-lease cars. And we're getting a lot of cars in that are uh, leased because there's been a leasing surge, a uh, huge number of cars. There are manufacturers out there, dealers that sell over half their cars, lease as opposed to purchase. And what would you say the average was to 35, 40% now? Probably low. We're on, we're on the high side and we're in the like mid 30% range. I'm, yeah. I would guess around 25 to 30, maybe a little bit lower yeah, than it that. It used to be 10 or less. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's uh, for the four people, it's a seller's market, folks. If you're out there and want to buy a car, uh, you know, we're car dealers, so yeah, we love you to buy our car cars. But uh, the point is, you're going to be paying more today than you will a year from now, I guarantee you. So, if you're if, if you don't need a car, uh, wait, and especially this is new model introduction time, so you got everything going against you. Uh, you have a microchip shortage, which is making certain models hard to buy. And uh, if you got a good, uh, reliable car and it's safe, it's a fairly late model. Uh, you know, I'm talking about in the past six or seven years, they're pretty damn safe. Uh, wait a year, and you'll get you'll get a much better price. Great advice. <laughs> Uh, we are going to go to John, who's giving us who's giving us a call from Palm City. Good morning, John. Good morning to everyone. I have a couple of questions for Rick, and we're going through the temperature that happened in Texas. I hope it never happens to us. But my qu first question to Rick is: Every new car that's delivered, uh, for instance, a car that's delivered in Maine or a car that's delivered here in South Florida, are they all winterized with antifreeze to the same protection? or is it different variants depending on a part of the country? No, actually coolant, radiator coolant, is designed to handle extremely high temperatures and low temperatures both. And most of it now, like for Toyota, is already pre-mixed even. It, yeah, it's all the same. And uh, the cars, when, when a car is shipped out, the manufacturer doesn't know where it's gonna be sold. And cars are swapped, the dealer traded and ordered. So if you're building a a uh, uh, Honda Accord, uh, then all those Honda Accords will be the identical winterized yep. summer all conditions. Uh, although you're, it might not be a bad idea to have a winter package manufactured car for some guy that lives in uh, Minneapolis and he's going to stay there, but uh, that's not the way it is. Okay, well, I want to ask you then for a used car, should a person be checking and see that it's properly winterized and can somebody, like in a cold area, run pure antifreeze or does it have to be mixed with water in order to be efficient? No, it should be mixed and actually most manufacturers now are, the coolant is no longer coming as a concentrate that has to be mixed. It's now pre-made, pre-mixed to the proper uh, levels that it should be the proper ratios and most of it now you don't mix with water, you simply put the coolant straight into the engine and right in the radiator and you'll be perfectly fine with it. A worst case scenario that somebody doesn't have any coolant in it and it's an older car and it's probably basically mostly water the old cars used to have like if it froze they had freeze out plugs in the engine that they still load up today that the engine block won't crack that a freeze out plug will come out first yeah that's still the same case yep okay what i want to ask you also 
the item that everybody was forgetting, and it's a run on it in, in Texas, is people are forgetting with the expansion tank on the radiator, which is usually a plastic uh, bottle, that they forgot to winterize it, and it just cracked, and they have to be replaced. And sometimes they're not so cheap, and sometimes, Rick will tell you, they're in a bad spot, like in a fender welt, so they're not the easiest to change. <coughs> so that's an important thing that people overlook. And is there an item that I can buy in the auto store, something I think years ago, I think they call it a hydrometer, that I can check actually the water in that tank and see that that's proper for the windshield washer fluid? Uh, not for washer fluid. Washer fluid is generally in put in as either water or a concentrate. And, you know, normally most folks will buy the, the blue bottles for 99 cents and just pour it straight in. And that has uh, antifreeze capabilities to it, unlike normal engine coolant. Um, so it's actually, you know, two different systems. Make sure you don't get those chemicals mixed up. Don't put them in the wrong spots. But the hydrometer that you're mentioning was actually used for testing the concentration of coolant versus water in the radiator system. And we used those back in the past, but like I say now, modern coolants are intended not to have any water added to it. You simply top it up with coolant anytime it gets low. So in other words, what you do physically, if it's an older car that come into the dealership, you basically check it with your finger and see that it's not just pure water that has a, a fluid in it for, uh, you know, cooling, right? Well, you can tell by the color, because almost all of them now, for the past 25, 30 years, have been using a specific color. Some use pink, okay. red, green, blue, orange, almost any color of the rainbow now, but each manufacturer will have a, a color that you can tell whether it's got the proper concentration or not. And John, if the truth be told, most dealers in South Florida never even look at the color, and all they care to see if it's full of a, when they do their check, their gold check, or whatever they call it, I'll bet you could put water in a car in Miami or Palm Beach County, and the techni technician would never notice. So it's a very good point. If you're buying a car and you live up north, you're buying a car in South Florida, you probably ought to check that uh, yourself or tell them to check it, because I don't think they do. In most cases, we look just to see is there some sort of a color there. Yeah, that's you. Yeah. But right, uh, well, you're, you're a certified a master diagnostic no technician. What, the windshield washer fluid, yeah. it's actually better to put the uh, additive to it, and it probably does a better job cleaning the windshield, too. Yep. We'll try that on a shopping report, uh, John. We'll go, out there with a, we'll go out there with a car, and we'll put water in the radiator, and we'll, we'll take it to our dealership. We won't tell Rick, and we'll take it to two or three other dealerships, and we'll find out how well they all did at alerting the shopper that uh, there was only water in his radiator. Well, I'm only pointing it out because of what these poor people <laughs> in Texas have gone through. Yeah, I know. It's, it's good a point. It's, good it's point. Sad. Yes. All right. Well, welcome back, Nancy. I hope she uh, heals fast. Thank you. The Cleveland Clinic is the greatest, in my opinion, hospital in the United States. And they found in that Cleveland Clinic that I had vertigo. And that's after years that I had hospitals in New York City, including Columbia Presbyterian. Really? And they never even discovered it. But guess what? It got discovered here in Florida and at Cleveland Clinic. 
Well, I totally agree. I totally agree. We recommend Cleveland Clinic. Nancy and I both go there. We refer people there. And I'm amazed the number of people that I talk to that have figured that out. And, of course, they're buying up hospitals in this area. Thank God for that. They really know what they're doing. Yes, definitely. Yes. Thanks, I John. Hope, I hope Nancy heals fast. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Have a great weekend. 877-960-9960. Or you can text us at 772-497-6530. And don't forget, youranonymousfeedback.com. And uh, if you haven't joined Earl's Vigilantes yet, well, we're wide open and we're waiting for you. We're waiting for you to sign up. Help us, uh, help the people in your community. I mean, you don't have to be, uh, uh, you don't have to take an engine apart or be an auto expert uh, to help uh, all of us. And we would appreciate you volunteering for yeah, Earl's if Vigilantes. If you're in the Nashville area, um, without giving too much away, Nashville needs some vigilantes in that area. They do, yeah. <laughs> they sure badly. Do. <laughs> they, they badly need a vigilante. That's we what I a, heard. need a good southern boy there that can take care of these. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Look at <laughs> okay, we're going to go back to Rick, I believe, who's uh, got some YouTubes. Oh, we've got one. Uh, Sung Sam had contacted us a little while back. That's about a scary name. Sung Sam. Wow. No, it's Sung. Oh, it's it's like the 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 Samsung phone. Yeah. Oh, Sung. But with the two. Oh. I was, was going to say it's either, a, it's either a Korean guy or a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> I I prefer to think he's a or true a, gentleman. Or a Korean serial killer. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he says. Uh, he was looking at buying an Acura with a one-pay lease that, in other words, you pay the lease all in full at the beginning. Uh, three years, one-pay lease to Acura. Uh, he received a uh, letter from Acura to pay $300 property tax for leasing the car in Texas. Um, he says that he argued that they own the car, therefore they should have to pay the property tax. Yeah, you're right. He says they refused. They're saying when you lease a car in some cities in Texas, you have to pay the property tax even though you don't own, but you lease the car. And he says, how do I fight this? He called the dealership and Honda Finance and got no real help. He says uh, at the time of the, the lease, the one-pay lease, they told us they would not have to pay. And now he says the one-pay three-year lease covers at the time of the lease, they told us one pay lease contract would cover the property tax if any of that is applied. I got the answer. You hire a class action lawyer, a really good one, a mean one, and you give him the opportunity to file a class action suit on behalf of everybody in Texas that has paid that $300 and you sue the, uh, Texas. Hmm. And you sue Texas, and I think, he's, I think you're totally right. Uh, I, I happen to know that when you lease a car, this question's come up on the, for a different reason. People uh, that lease cars and, and the um, husband and wife the, uh, lease the car and then the well, one party passes away and then the, it goes through to the estate. Uh, but if you have the lease in only one name, uh, it, well, it's another story. But yeah, class action suit, I think, would get somebody's attention. Mm. That's what I would try. Okay. And uh, Negan One mentions, is Rick, there are aftermarket door checks available for different cars. And yes, there are aftermarket, but most of them are gonna be built to the same specifications as the factory door checks. Therefore, they would still open the door to the same positions. 
and plus actually changing a door check requires disassembling the door itself oh. to get inside to where the body of that door check is. What's that, 500 bucks? Uh, it can be that or more. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'd figure out how to live with it. Yeah, I, I would think maybe a, a, a rope tied around the door, <laughs> just a simple piece of rope that you yeah. could just pull to help pull the door closed. But, That'll work. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's see, uh, Ernesto's asking, I heard the residual value, especially for Toyota, is based on MSRP. Is it true that residual value is based on the MSRP? And if not, what is it based upon? No, it's not based on MSRP. It's based on two things. Uh, the, the most common is the anticipated value of that vehicle, no matter what the MSRP is, uh, regardless uh, the anticipated value of the car at the end of the lease. So if you've got a 36-month lease, uh, you go to your crystal ball where there's actually uh, companies and one one company in particular that uh, specializes in that and they do uh, they do a forecast of what that vehicle is going to be worth on the market in three years difficult to do the other way they do it is they use it to incentivize the lease of that car and a lot of the manufacturers are, are putting higher than realistic uh, uh, residual values so they can lower the lease payment when they lease the car, so they increase their volume, and uh, they, they, that's the way. But the MSRP has not got anything to do with the uh, residual value. Hmm. And the last one I have here is Andy Zaprazala says, Good morning. I would like to be a silent slash mystery shopper in the Atlanta area. Is that possible? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, as a vigilante? Oh, as a mystery shopper. Um, I, I would recommend that they start as a vigilante and we get a communication going. Yeah, we, have, we, we need your qualifications. Yeah. And uh, uh, Stu's absolutely right. We have to be careful because we have credibility. Uh, we have to be accurate. And we're sure you're sincere, or almost. Yeah. And, and we'd, have, we'd probably have to do a little background check on you and uh, talk to you, Just, interview yeah, you. As we want to make sure you're not a, a salesperson in a dealership trying to badmouth <laughs> your, your competition. You know, but, that, could, that could happen. But <laughs> if you're willing to go through the background check, uh, we would love to put you on. Yeah, and it's I, not I think intrusive. It's, we're we're not, you know, not running your, your, your credit. Just, basically, it's, it's a you want to find out what you do, what your history is, and yeah. kind of get an idea. So go to earlsvigilantes.com, volunteer, yeah. and then uh, we can get you going. Exactly. Okay. That's got us caught up on YouTube for the moment. Right, cool. Hey, uh, going back to the property tax thing, I, I did a little Googling, and there are nine states um, in where even when you're leasing a car, you're responsible for state or local property tax. Ooh. And nine states plus Juneau, Alaska. Not, all, not the entire state, but just Juneau. That's even bigger class action yeah. suit. Arkansas, Connecticut, Kentucky, Massachusetts, Missouri, Rhode Island, Texas, Virginia, and West Virginia, according to Honda Financial Services, um, um, even when you lease a car, uh, and even though the man or the bank owns the car, uh -huh. uh, you're still responsible for property taxes. You lawyers out there, think about it. I'd love to hear from a lawyer. Uh, Justin Lynn is one of our favorites, consumer lawyer that Nancy and I know personally. Any folks listening in the, that are that are lawyers, what do you think about states like Texas? And Stu says there's seven or eight other that charge a, a, a lessee, someone's leasing a car, you're renting the car, and the car belongs to the leasing company that's leasing it to you, and the, the state's charging you property tax when it's not your property. Mm -hmm. Makes no sense. Done. I guess we'd not have to look all. at the statutes there. Yes. yes. We're gonna go to the uh, phones where Mark is holding. Good morning, Mark. 
Good morning, gang. Uh, I hope all is well with, with everyone and your toes doing okay. Um, I got a question for Rick this morning, and being in the business so long, I should know the answer to this, but I do not. I had to uh, go down to West Palm to have a CAT scan done, and I had to spend an hour drinking this wonderful banana contrast. So we had to wait. So we decided to go sit down by the water uh, across from Palm Beach and just, um, you know, just sit around and spend time waiting for the contrast to take effect. Anyway, my daughter is sitting there. We're listening to the radio, but I noticed the car is running. So I said to her, I said, why don't you shut the car off? She said, because then we can't listen to the radio. Years ago, you know, the key and the ignition, you used to be turn it you know, to forward to start the car, but you used to turn it backwards to, I believe it was ACC, and it allowed you to play your, your radio without mm -hmm. the car running. Now, Rick, can you do that today? This is a, a 2017 Camry XLE. Can you um, play the radio without having the uh, car running? Yes. If you have a normal key, that is has the ignition cylinder you'd put the key in and turn it just one partial turn you'll feel a little detent a click and that's the accessory or ACC position that will let you have usually the radio and sometimes the power windows and if you turn it one click further to on it will turn on the ignition which will give you the blower fan the power windows, everything will be powered up, but the engine will not be running because you haven't turned it all the way to the start position. Now, if you have right. smart key, which is the push button to start, do not That's step right. on the brake pedal, but simply push the button one time and release it, and it will go to the ACC position, which lets you play your radio. I didn't know that. Did you know that, Stu? Push it twice, yes. and it will go to ignition <laughs> on that will give you power to everything in the car, but without starting the engine. I love I love this show. Thanks, Rick. And you Mark, you're in the business. You, you were in the business. I didn't know it. You didn't know it. Rick, you're nope. a genius. Nope. I just experience. Yeah. <laughs> I play with things. Yeah, I'll tell you, it, it, when she has to put the money in the car for the gasoline, uh, it shouldn't really bother me. But, you know, you're sitting there wasting gas. Yeah. I, I thank you so much. Uh, I, then again, you're right, Earl. I can't believe I didn't know the answer to that question. Yeah, yeah. I've, but, I, uh, I've only been a car dealer for f over 50 years. So <laughs> <and I, laughs> well, no excuse. Anyway, thank you, Rick, and thank you, Mark. All right, great. Well, you all have a wonderful weekend, okay? Thank you. You too. Thank Bye -bye. you. Uh, don't we just love our callers? Yeah. And, of course, the icing on the cake, Rick. Rick, would you do that? Repeat that again. I want to make notes. Now, just yeah, I got the fact you can turn it once for the radio, and but tell me about the, uh, another click. The second click will put it to on position, which means everything in the car will be on, just as though you had started the engine, uh -huh. but the engine is not running. Ah, okay, good. Okay. And with the smart key, it's push it once and release. Push it once, yeah. For accessory. Push it twice right. to get full ignition on. Without oh. your foot on the brake. Without the foot on the brake. Yeah. We're taking notes. But yeah. remember one thing. Don't do this for very too much too long. You know, no more than like 30, 40 minutes at a time because yeah. this is drawing down on your battery. Yeah. Yeah. So if your battery's a little weak, uh -huh. you want to be careful that you don't draw too much energy. Or if you want to play a dirty trick on somebody when they park their car, 
you can just go in there and push it twice, and he won't know it, and his, his battery will go dead. Ah, but the key has to be in the car. Ah. It's got to detect the key <laughs> well, or it won't work. Great information, Rick, really. It, you know, it is. How many times have I asked, I said to Earl, while well, he's pumping gas, you know, I want to listen to something on the radio. Yeah. And uh, anyway. All right, well, you didn't go, uh-huh, because I, you thought the same thing I did. You didn't know it was possible. Hmm. Yeah, you can't leave. Yeah. Oh, that's great, yeah. Yeah. Now you can listen to the radio. Yeah. Uh, my talk show. Of course, I, I remember a time when I got out to pump gas from my mother's car, and she decided she wanted to listen to the radio, so she turned the key back on yeah. without starting the engine, and the power antenna all of a sudden came right up towards my face and almost caught oh, me no. in the nose. So if you push oh, it God. twice, you could, <laughs> you, you probably wouldn't want to do this, but if you pushed it twice, you could also put the air conditioning on without the, the engine. The blower on. fan, yes. And with, with what? It would be just the blower fan itself. Oh, just the blower fan, not the it'd compressor. Be, right. It'd be just circulating air, but yeah. without running the compressor. Well, that might be good enough when you're at the gas station. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Oh, man. Great, great I love. I love this show. I'm telling you. <laughs> we learn something new every single Saturday, and our listeners, our followers, uh, they do a great help to bring you all to the table. We are going to go to Warren, who is holding. He's calling us from Pompano Beach. And uh, he's been with us before. Good morning, Warren. Good morning, guys. How are you? We're well, thank you. Uh, I got a, I had a question for the state. You were talking about safety. You know, only towards the end. But if you remember, the the book that was written by Ralph Nader was yeah. probably mm-hmm. the most, unsafe at any speed. The most, but it's unsafe at any speed, and he started off. Uh, with the Corvette, not the, Cor- the not the, that, the Corvair. The Corvair. And yep. Cor- yeah, and, and the Corvair had the motor in the back, and it's, sometimes you hit that thing in the back, you're know, like five miles an hour, and think you could explode. And his book, I think, was the most important book ever written about car safety because it showed that the government had hit, hidden tests that if you got hit by sometimes as low as seven or eight miles an hour, you could cause a fatality. Was hitting the right place. The cars would just cave right in. And of course, the manufacturers refused to, you know, acknowledge all of this until they had a congressional investigation. Like, this was in the early 60s, if I remember this correct. I mean, I don't even remember that, but it's sort of like that's what could happen. Is that correct? I believe, I believe you're right. That they really, I know that General Motors had hired uh, uh, detectives to follow Ralph Mayer. Uh, they really, uh, they got busted big time because they, talk about an invasion of poly, uh, privacy, he was doing so much damage to the GM brand that uh, there was even rumors that they were going to take him out. I mean, it was it was, it was, was back in the day when there was, well, I talk about me being a recovering car dealer. The manufacturers are recovering manufacturers. They did some nasty stuff back in the day. So it's, uh, I, I, I believe that Ralph Nader uh, truly was a hero. I used to hate him. I mean, I was, back when I was a car dealer, Everybody, he was a villain. He was a terrible person. Uh, he's hurt business. And, uh, and I assume heard this story, so have so some of you people out there. But the first car I gave my first wife, Stu's, Stu's uh, mother, was a Corvair. Uh, and, uh, I've heard the story before. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you know that you used, in order to change the spark plugs, you actually have to lower the engine partway out of the car? I didn't know that. <laughs> they, Corvairs were a very interesting yeah, yeah, little vehicle. Was, with the safety, you covered it. 
and not only get the politics or anything, but there was, there was somebody that was, uh, who was on the radio. They, this guy was telling me that he went to school up in Massachusetts, and he get on the radio every day, screaming, you know, our liberties were being taken away, that you know, the, that the police were to come into your home and take your cars away because of seatbelts. And if the government made you wear seatbelts, what are they going to do next? What are they going to take away from you next? Exactly. This is, this is what we, you know, and, and you know, you could go on to where you ever think it is. But, uh, all right, but just like to mention it. The other thing that I wanted to ask you was, um, it's about leasing a car, and that's enough for me. I have a relative, and he's a lawyer. And every time he wants to lease a car, what he does, he calls up a dealership whether it be a Honda, or Toyota, whatever, and he says to them, this is what I want, and I want the lease that I'm going to pay for. Uh, in other words, I want nothing down, and this is what I want to pay for. Can you accommodate me at all? And to call five, six, seven dealerships, is that any way to go about it, or is that really backwards? Yeah, you want to be real. I, I wouldn't do it that way. Uh, uh, you know, even if you get your number, you might be leaving some money on the table. Uh, the best way to do it would be simply to call the same number of dealers, say nothing down, I want to lease a car for the same number of months, be sure you get the exact same car, MSRP, your make model, and then say, the low bidder is gonna get my business. Give me a monthly payment, zero down, 36 months, on this MSRP uh, you know, Chevrolet uh, Corvette, and take the lowest uh, monthly payment be sure it's uh, out the door price with no hidden fees, and uh, he's a lawyer. You'll be able to spot check that. I think he'd get a lower lease rate if he did it that way. Yeah, I mean, he just, you know, he's done it, I don't know how many years, right? When the lease is up, you know, he'll go back to, you know, the leasing company who he leased it from originally and say, oh, we'll put you in this one or that one. Then he'll go up and he'll just spend the time to call different deals. And like I said, he doesn't care if he had a Toyota or he had a Nissan or he had a Chevy. <laughs> As far as he's concerned, it's a lease. So he's not worried about durability or, you know, if, if it's a better car or whatever. You know, this is what he wants, and if somebody can accommodate him, fine. And, you know, he was unhappy with the original leasing company and went to somebody else. And, he, and in fact, he did a Nissan, yeah. okay, and he did a Nissan Altima because they called him back and said, we can give you this or that. And somebody said, well, it's not the best price. And what do I do? I'm leasing. Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the problem is he might be paying $550 a month because that was the lowest number. Uh, meanwhile, there's another deal that would list it to him for 500 He could save $50 a month. But he's a lawyer, probably making a lot of money. He doesn't care about $50 a month. He likes simplicity, and that's what he's got. Yeah, that's, that's basically what he's got. You know, have the car ready. I'll come down. Yeah. You know, take a look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, of course, what's funny is because... He's always telling me what he did. But in the end, the last car he got, of course, the guy calls when he gets down there. He says, you know, for 50 bucks more a month, we can put all this stuff in. Guess what? Yeah. <laughs> did yeah, did, he, did he fall for it? Smart he is and, and he, fell, he fell right into the, into the trap <laughs> when, he, when he got there. After telling me all these years what he does, he showed him the other car. He said, for 50 bucks a month more, you get this gizmo and that gizmo and the, and the leather, da 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 and he went, he went, all right, I'll do the $50. He ran into a sharp salesman, a very good salesman, and uh, that's what they do. They do it real well. Yeah, he, he, he sure, I, I was laughing, you know, like, but you said he's got money, he doesn't care, you know, $50 a month is nothing to him. 
so he he really, he really doesn't you know, you know yeah. fifty dollars is nothing. So he's going to pay four fifty now. He's paying five fifty. Like I said, he uh, five hundred. He can pay less. So but the salesman just shoot him right into the other car. Just right. He's going to pick up the other one. He showed him that he's a different one and had a little more gizmo. And fifty bucks, fifty bucks, and shoot him right into the next thing. Now he drove out with that one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thanks, Warren. I appreciate that input. That is very... Thank you very much. Enjoy. You guys have a great show. Enjoy. Sam, to you, my friend. Oh, thank you, Warren. 877-960-9960. And ladies, we're still waiting for you to give us a call to uh, win your $50. The first two new lady callers, $50 for each one of you. Share your experience. And that text number is 772-497-6530. Don't forget your anonymous feedback.com now back to Stu. Well, i got a text here i don't know if this is a joke or not it says i'm a college student in new york i came home last night for spring break and my car <laughs> which was parked in my parents driveway for the last couple of months would not start my dad is on a consumer advice radio show that focuses on cars <laughs> should he have known better and started my car a few times while i was away <laughs> js and jupiter um, I, I think Jake, did you really say that? I, I'm a, uh, I have a conflict of interest here. I'll, I'll turn this over to Rick. <laughs> you can let J.S. know what his father should have done while he was away at college. Uh, well, my first question to J.S., did you make arrangements with your father, and do you have a contract in writing that was notarized yeah, and witnessed he, and signed? He never said anything. Oh, <laughs> boy. Come on, Rick. We had no agreement. Oh, boy. All right, let's move on. Thank you very I, thank much. Thank you. I, I will step back I, from that one now. I, I like that. I did the same thing, but I said, I'm married to a car dealer. Why doesn't my car start? Oh, my gosh. All right, let's go. Over, uh, Brian uh, from the West Coast of California. Um, so... A couple of weeks ago, he had uh, texted us and told us about his friend who had a terrible experience at a Subaru dealership. Um, bought a brand new, um, I, th I think he got a uh, Impreza Sport. Anyway, um, so this is a follow-up to that. He, when he bought it, he noticed there were some small scratches <coughs> on the paint and the front bumpers in the driver's side door. So then a person claiming to be the general manager of the dealership said they would fix, the pro fix it no problem, and he put it in writing. So my friend brought the car on Friday for repairs. After waiting for several hours, they told him to bring it back the following week because they said they'd have to take the car to a body shop instead. Um, he, bring it, he brought it back on Monday, and then he didn't see, see the car for another week until fo the following Tuesday. He went to pick up the car, and all the scratches are still there. To make things worse, someone also trashed the interior with dirt all over the place. Mm. Uh, they, promised, they promised to fix it this time. So on Thursday, uh, the 25th, which is uh, two days later, they said the car was ready. Um, and they scheduled it to pick it up on the 26th, so now three days later. They said it looks like there's more issues, and they won't be able to pick it up the until the following week. This was a brand-new car. The dealership is called DCH Subaru of Thousand Oaks. DCH is huge out here, and they're owned by Lithia Motors, which is a massive United States auto dealer. Big group. Um, we have letters to Lithia Corporate and Subaru Corporate without much help. My friend has a loaner car, but what do you think our next move should be? Uh, this wouldn't fall under the Lemon Law or anything like that, and thanks for everything, guys. Yeah, sometimes uh, your best recourse is to is to go through the, your complaint services. Uh, you probably have uh, the Department of Motor Vehicles in California is probably really tough on dealers, and they probably get you their attention. I would go to the Better Business Bureau. I would uh, do bad Google reviews. Uh, I would uh, call the the 800 hotline to Subaru 
if you barrage them with enough complaints, I hate to recommend an attorney because it's going to cost you money. Uh, if you got a friend who's an attorney, a warning letter might do the uh, trick. Let me go back to what really happened here, and this is uh, some good common advice, uh, Brian, that all people listening can understand. When you go into a dealership with a complaint, the person you're talking to is always going to identify him as a manager, kind of like a bank. You know, everybody's a vice president. Uh, you go to a dealership, everybody's a manager. Uh, they do that for a couple of reasons. Uh, they don't want you going over their head. Uh, if you go in and ask to speak to a uh, the general manager, you probably got, at best, a sales manager. When you go into the service department, you talk to somebody that says he's a service manager, uh, he's probably not. The service manager somewhere inside the Taj Mahal in his office hiding from the customers. Uh, it's difficult to get through to uh, the, the actual manager. Real managers that run the show, especially the GM, the guy like, well, Stu is the general manager, uh, if you can get through to the general manager of the dealership, he wants to make you happy. He probably understands customer satisfaction, and he understands, if nothing else, the Department of Motor Vehicles and lawyers, and they want it to. But the guy in the trenches, he just doesn't want the aggravation of having to argue and then follow up and see that you're satisfied. So I suggest you demand to see the real general manager, and when they say the general manager, ask to see his business card. I'll look him up on the web. Go to the website of the dealership. Find the real general manager, or better yet, the owner. I mean, I, uh, I'm an owner, and I, I know this from hands-on experience. People call me all the time with complaints, and I, and I say, did you speak with the service manager? Or did you speak to the sales manager? And they say, yeah, I spoke to Bill Jones. I said, well, Bill Jones is not the sales manager. So it even happens in my own dealership. Uh, be sure you get the real guy that can make a decision. Usually the top guy has your best interest at heart. Not always. <laughs> Sometimes they're the cause of the problem. But usually the, the, the head guy in a dealership will do something sincere to try to help you. Okay, folks, give us a call, 877 960-9960, or if you'd like to send us a text, we're right here at 772-497-6530. And uh, if you haven't signed up for Earl's Vigilantes, you can go to Earl on Cars and check it all out and see how you can qualify. I think we're going to go back to Stu. Yep. Uh, next text. It says, thank you for all the great info. I have a question about regarding Florida fees. I hear the e-filing fee and private tagging fees are fake. Is, is this true? And if not, what would be acceptable costs for each? Also, do dealers add to the cost of actual registration and DMV fees? I've seen title fees uh, for 200 uh, when the DHSMV fee is $77. And I, I can address that real quick. Yes, those are all fake. They're, they're other dealer fees. They're hidden fees. Um, they are um, dealerships will pay an outside company to handle um, just the legwork of, of doing the title work. And they're charged a fee. Um, it's a cost of doing business. Um, typically, it costs what 10, 12 bucks or something like that to get the work done. And these are marked up. In Florida, there's no regulation that stops you from. There's no cap, so they could charge you $200 for something that costs them $10. So that's not that's not a legit fee. And no, the dealers can't mark up the actual title and DMV fees. So if they give you a registration uh, price to transfer a tag or to, to buy a new tag, 
uh, they're not allowed to make profit on that. You say they can't, but they do it anyway. Well, so. they do it with those other fees. So they, yeah, yeah so they're, it's on a separate line. But if you see on that line on your buyer's order and it says tag registration, $333, um, that is, that's the cost of the tag. And you should, they should be able to show you that um, on the registration. I tell them the acid test of a real fee. Yeah. If you're paying sales tax on a fee, um, that's not a state fee or a legit government fee. That's a dealer fee. That's, in other words, the dealer made that up, um, and he's, um, it's actually part of the cost, the price that you're paying on the car. Um, what I always do when I do the mystery shopping reports, and you'll hear Earl um, say, use uh, the effective selling price or the de facto selling price. What I'm doing is I'm taking the sale price that the dealer is writing on the buyer's order as the price, and then I'm adding a dealer fee, I'm adding the added unwanted equipment, I'm adding the electronic filing fee, I'm adding the te private tag agency fee. When you add all that up, all the things that you pay tax on, that's your real price, that's your effective price. And the reason for there is a, there's the reason it's different, the, the charges are different, uh, because there is a little, there's a little formula that goes into um, how they come up with this cost. It has to, depends on the vehicle, um, how uh, close it is to your birthday, which is the typical anniversary date of renewing registration. So it will vary depending on the time in the year that you buy the car. Um, but typically, a, a brand new tag, somewhere 300 in the $400 range in Florida, or transfer tag, 120 to 180 dollars. That's what those. That's the range that you're looking in. So and if just, you see just remember, this is premeditated deceit. They think about this. They don't just come up with e-filing fee or electronic filing fee or tag agency fee. They thought about that. They wanted something that sounded exactly like a government fee. Mm -hmm. And when they write it on the uh, buyer's order, uh, you believe it. And it's deceitful. Uh, it should, they, they shouldn't be allowed to do that. In California, for example, they have a good law. Oh, dealers, you want to have a dealer fee? Call it, uh, I think they call it a dock fee. They have one name, whatever it is, call it a dealer fee in California. I believe it's maybe a hundred bucks now. They've raised it. Yeah. And uh, so for $100, you know that's additional profit. And every dealer in California charges you $100. If they have anything else, they're breaking the law, and they get in bad, bad trouble. In Florida, you can charge any fee. You call anything, any fee you want. You can have one fee or 50 fees. You can call them anything you want, and you can tell the dealer, I mean, tell the customer that these are legitimate fees. These are fees. You know what I'd like to see? Yeah. I'd like to see Florida require that all these fees be labeled as bogus fees on, on bar sweaters. <laughs> And then you can, the then you can argue about it after they after you see the after you see the bar's <laughs> order. We're yeah. in the wild wild west. Okay, uh, we are going to go to Michael. He's a first time caller, and uh, just calling from Kentucky. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome, welcome, Daryl Stewart on cars. What can we do for you? Well, I'm trying to purchase a 2018 or 19 Nissan Pathfinder. And I've saved up uh, some money, my down payment. My question is, when do I let the financial officer know that I have a down payment? Well, your, your down payment, if I understand it correctly, uh, how much percentage-wise or how much? No, he, he, he's got a down payment. When, when should he tell the, the finance manager that, oh. he, that he has a down payment? Well, I, I think it, it depends on what you want to accomplish. Uh, I think uh, if... Uh, I would, I would say off the top of my head, say wait until the subject comes up. Uh, the, the greater your down payment, of course, the, 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 the less your monthly payment, 
And uh, I think that uh, that should be in your mind, what your budget would want to be and how much you want to come out of pocket. If your goal is to come, uh, is to have as little out of pocket as possible, I would either say I don't want to make a down payment or give them a lower number than you would, uh, that, than you would not feel comfortable with and uh, see what they counter with. It becomes kind of like part of the negotiations, too. Uh, the, the other thing that they're, they, the finance managers want to see a big, big down payment because when you're getting a loan on the car, the bank is going to limit the amount um, that they're going to loan for that car based on that car's value. The more money you put down, the more the, um, the, the bank can finance, which means that finance manager can sell you more things that you probably don't need or want. Good point. So if you're if you go in there and say, hey, I got ten thousand dollars to put down on this nineteen thousand dollar car, in the case of your Pathfire, maybe a thirty thousand dollar something car, um, they're going to start drooling because that means they can sell you the kitchen sink. Um, if you're putting no money down, the amount of the money the the bank is going to loan is going to be based on a percentage of the car's value, and on a new car something like 120% of the value, so they can't sell everything they have. The more money you put down, the more they can sell, sell you. And what I would do also on that note, and I didn't even think about that, I'm glad Stu mentioned it, uh, go in uh, with as low a down payment or no down payment, and then there'll be a discussion, on maybe a, almost an argument, that you have to put more money down. Uh, wh wh if you make them believe you can't put more money down, then you're going to force them to cut their profit to the point uh, to the, the as far as they'll take their profit in order to get the bank to buy the deal and finance the car. So once they drop their profit down because you say you can't come up with any more money, then you can say, surprise, 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 I have $1,000 I can put down. So now you got the best price and you lower your payment at the same time with a nicer down payment. Okay, all right. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. Good question. I, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that, so that's... Uh, that, that's, that should be very helpful to a lot of people out there. Exactly. Uh, very good. Okay. Great call, Michael. Give us a call yeah, again. About, about your book, to be here Monday. Oh, really? Thank you. Enjoy it. And the dogs at okay. Big Dog Ranch Rescue, thank you, because everything you paid for that book went to Big Dog Ranch Rescue. Thank you so much. There, <laughs> you. <laughs> thank you, thank you. there you go. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> All okay, right. I think we're gonna go back to Stu. Yeah, that was a great bark. That sounded <laughs> my, my first. Yeah. <laughs> sounded like my first dog Sparky, didn't it? Like a big, deep, yeah, big, deep, yeah, yeah, big dog. Bark, yeah. Cane Corso. <laughs> there we go. Doesn't sound like my little dog. Um, uh, this is a good one. My steering wheel is a mess. The leather is cracked and splitting. Our steering wheel cover safe and approved by the NHTSA. Well, I don't know. Um, I, I don't. I don't think so. I, I feel weird be. about that. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I, I, number one, I would, I would. There's probably different kinds. I've seen steering wheel covers that snap over it and literally just kind of slide around until you grip it. It's, something tells me that's a bad idea. Mm. Um, I know you can get a wrap steering wheel cover, like a with a like, like a leather thing. I would think that, that would probably be okay. Um, in any case, I would make sure that if you, you know do it at a dealership if they have something approved by the manufacturer. Um, and have it installed by somebody who knows what they're doing because you don't want to mess up on your steering wheel. Or you <laughs> could just wait and buy an autonomous car without a steering wheel and you don't have to worry about exactly. it. Exactly, exactly. All right, let's see if I'm missing anything. I'm going to jump over to some anonymous feedback. Okay. And uh, let's see here. Um, uh, why do car manufacturers, car makers, make it so difficult to reach items that fall to the side of your seat? Wouldn't a simple cloth barrier prevent the loss of keys? phones, pens, french fries, and sunglasses, 
all things that I have been trapped in the side of my seat in the last year. <laughs> I, know, I know tracks and other mechanical apparatus are necessary for modern seats to function, but a simple addition would prevent a lot of frustration for car owners. They, like don't, they don't do it because it doesn't help sell cars. Yeah. It costs money. And you'd be surprised how cheap a manufacturer is when they're designing a vehicle. Uh, uh, pennies. Uh, when, you're, when you're selling millions of vehicles, uh, if, if you can take five bucks off the cost of a car or ten bucks, you're talking about big, big net profit. goes right to the bottom line. And anything they can sneak, uh, sneak by that's not going to affect government-regulated safety, or more importantly to them, supply and demand. You know, when a salesman's selling a car, they're going to say, now, let me tell you about this other feature. If you drop something, uh, if we have this little cloth thing that'll pick it up, yeah. that's not going to sell the car. Yeah. He's going to sell work the, on me, though. The, the sexy, <laughs> they're going to sell the sexy stuff that, the, you know, that you can talk about that'll sell the car. But Rick. the designer, the designer out in Detroit, she thought about all that, so you need to get yourself I bet she it. did. I felt, I felt <laughs> this, this uh, anonymous uh, commenter because things go down there, you'll, you'll spend 15 minutes cutting your hand up trying to find a pen or something like that crazy. Yeah. They have devices available aftermarket. I'm, I'd have to look up like the pockets, what the proper name is. It actually is a foam filled wrapped, cloth wrapped and sewn up. Uh, it, they're about a foot and a half long, most of them. A little pillow. It's got a little loop at one end and what you do is you put that loop over the female portion of your seat belt and tuck it down between the seat and that center console. And things will land on that. And yeah. nothing can get past it to go down in between the seat and the console. Hmm. Yeah. Trader, what you said, I love this show. I'm getting one of those. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're fantastic. All right. Uh, another more anonymous feedback says, I'm trying to buy either a new car, uh, I'm trying to buy a new car, and just about every car dealership has told me that CD players are either unavailable or extremely rare. I have a huge CD collection, and I'm not about to take all these salesmen's advice and have my grandkid put all this music into my phone. What else can I do? Um, I got a, uh, you, you can buy a portable CD player. Um, it will plug into the auxiliary outlet of your car. It won't be pretty. Um, you might have to sit it on your central console or your seat, but you could still play your CDs through that. And I'm going to guess Rick has probably knows you could probably, and that's that's the cheapest solution because you could probably get one of these things for, for $20, $30. Um, and I'm going to guess, Rick, am I right, that a new headset, like a, you could probably buy one at a Best Buy that will work fit into your car's dash with a CD player, but that's going to be um, considerably more money, you know, have, would have to be installed by a, by a technician. Um, what do you know about that? Uh, aftermarket radio installs, you're looking at the cost of the head unit, then there's usually a fit kit to fill in any gaps around it, plus the wiring, uh, anything interfaces to let your steering wheel controls work, all that adds up. You'd be looking, even for an inexpensive head unit, somewhere in a neighborhood of four to five hundred dollars at Best Buy having it totally installed by them which by the way I highly recommend them they do a fantastic job with the aftermarket they know how to get all those interface modules to work properly make everything work great and personally I think it's a, a, an aftermarket radio is a much better investment in an older car a car that's four or five years old because you're getting a brand new technology unit versus the radio that would have been five or six years old mm -hmm. that's going to cost double or triple that at yeah. a dealership. Yeah. 
And we've seen this happen over the years as cars change and as the, uh, the, the technology for, for music and entertainment changes. I, I remember back when cassettes were phased out of cars, and I'm sure um, Earl and Nancy, you guys remember when 8-tracks track. were phased out. <laughs> and I love the 8-track. Um, and if you know if you got a good dealership, we've had, you know, and these salespeople have suggested your grandkid doing it. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's not crazy for, you know, for the salesperson to do that, you know, especially for an older customer. Uh, I remember we, we did that with um, some customers who had giant uh, cassette collections, and we transferred them right. to CD, and uh, then they probably came back later and had those transferred to MP3s for their to play on their phone. But it keeps changing, and it it is frustrating, especially if you have a big collection. And you don't want to get rid of that. It's hard to put back together. Mm. Okay. Got a YouTube over here. We actually have a, this one's kind of interesting. Uh, Boris was asking, um, what can he do to keep the headlights clean and clear on a, a newer car. Now there's a lot of companies out there that do headlight restoration. You can buy the kits themselves to do it. But we actually did a little experiment. I did it on my own truck. Um, I restored the headlights, cleaned them up, had them shining and crystal clear. And on one side only, I got a product from 3M that I found on the internet from a vinyl wrap company that is just a clear vinyl that goes over the headlight. Uh -huh. Now, I'm, I'm going to be the first one to admit, I am no good at installing these things. I basically just put on a very large section over the front of the headlight, mm -hmm. got it on with the adhesive, and it looked really decent for what I did. Okay. If you're going to do this, find some place that does automobile wraps and have it professionally done on your headlights. They, they're going to run you probably about a hundred to hundred and fifty dollars to get your headlights done. What's the name of the product? Uh, the one I use is just a, a vinyl wrap from 3M. I know, but I, I, if I, I go on Amazon, a, what do I look for? Well, I, I found it on, let's see, it's customvinylettering.net is the uh, company that I bought mine through. And what did it cost you? And they were about twenty-five dollars oh. for the two, uh, the, the two pieces there, and the really awesome part about it was once I installed it, I've had, had it on there for now going on about 10 months. The one headlight that I did not put this on has already started fogging and going dull again, and it looks terrible. The side with the vinyl wrap, you can see a huge difference just between where the vinyl is yeah. and where the other part of the headlight is. If your car is relatively new, I highly suggest go and have this done and or do it yourself. I mean, well, how hard could it be? Uh, trust me, it can be tricky because mm. you're going to need a heat gun because oh. you've got to stretch this vinyl to get it around the contours oh. of the headlight. You may need to trim it in various areas. Yeah. So I highly recommend. It's kind of like having pinstripe done. Well, if we you want a we proper should, job, we should start selling those at our dealership, and then we can mark it up a thousand percent. And, and preload it on all of our cars. <laughs> and that would be a fantastic idea, but I would highly recommend get somebody that is trained to know what they're doing to put those on properly. Yeah. Somebody, somebody uh, get that exact uh, Amazon name, and we will recommend that. And then we'll, we'll ask somebody uh, what it would cost to install that, and we will, uh, sounds like a great idea. It made such a big difference. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Okay. I got to say, that to me was a very inexpensive little thing yeah. that made a big difference on my headlight. Well, we're definitely going to check it out, and we will have the facts for you next week. Yes, we will.
Okay. okay. Where are we? Text? What do we got? Uh, anonymous feedback. Uh, it's not uncommon to find that car man cars manufactured today lasting for over 200 to 300,000 or more miles with little to no major problems, assuming that the owner follows the manufacturer's guidelines for routine maintenance. In the 60s, 70s, and 80s, cars were not expected to last that long. Certainly, they were made with thicker steel and higher quality components. What, in your opinion, Earl, was the reason they did not last that long? Well, I disagree with the higher quality. I think that uh, they were made with thicker steel, and that was a big mistake because that uh, hurt the safety of the car. Counterintuitively, you know, a big bulky car is a dangerous car, not only for you, but extremely dangerous for the guy you run into. So in general, on the highway, you don't want to have big, thick steel cars. Uh, uh, the, the, the reason why cars are better today is just quality. Uh, and safety awareness, uh, and I hate to say it because I'm not a big guy on regulation, but government certainly has its place, and one of those is to keep people safe, and sometimes it can be intrusive and annoying, but I gotta say, I don't know where we'd be today without the NHTSA uh, in terms of enforcing safety rules. Uh, I, I look back, we had a discussion earlier in the show about seat belts and uh, airbags and how the manufacturers and the car dealers fought those items hand and nail or whatever, tooth and nail is the word. And uh, so, yeah, uh, the cars last longer now because they're, they, they're built better and they're built safer. And uh, uh, the good thing about having been in the business as long as I have, I go back to, to 50 years ago when I started in the business and the, and the junk I sold then compared to the amazing machines that I sell today, there's no comparison. So, you know, uh, we, we're just doing a good job. Competition is there. I credit the Japanese uh, for getting the Americans' attention. Actually, it start, started out with the Americans getting the Japanese attention. The Americans, our assembly line production, got the Japanese cranked up in the automobile business after World War II, and then the Japanese attention to detail and quality and gas mileage got the Americans' attention. They combined the groups and they come up with the best cars in the world. So, uh, yeah, it's all about uh, uh, intelligence and uh, ability to build higher quality cars. Okay, where are we? Anonymous feedback. Um, the next one says, I often get telemarketing calls for extended warranty services, even though I don't own a car, so how could my car insurance expire? <laughs> or why would I need an extended warranty? Personally, I think it's a scam to get people's personal credit card information. Yeah. What do you think? Biggest ongoing scam there is. Uh, I get the calls, I get the letters. Uh, you know, I think they shotgun them out. A lot of them come out of Nevada and other areas where the states don't have the regulation. It's just kind of crazy. If you have a state with, with terrible regulation, they can shotgun it out to every state in the country. And people, don't, I guess they don't have the time to enforce this stuff. So here's the rule of thumb. It's not even a rule of thumb. It should be a rule period. Ignore any solicitation you receive by mail, phone, text, any other form. Nobody's going to call you and try to sell you a warranty that's legitimate. Manufacturers don't do that. Dealers do it, but they're not legitimate either. So uh, stick with your manufacturer's warranty, and then when you want to buy another warranty, buy an extended warranty from the manufacturer. Pay no attention to the solicitation. Very good. Uh, next one. 
I read an interesting article written by a lawyer who deals in auto loan fraud. He said that one of five contracts contained fraudulent statements. Most common is when the buyer signs documents and takes their copy home with the car. Car dealers will then change the loan agreement before submitting it to the banks. Car buyers usually do not catch the fraud since they may not see the final copy or just assume it matches the copy of what they brought home when they bought that car. Exactly true. It's been going on for a long time. It's uh, too common to practice. I won't say it's common. It's a violation of federal law. The penalties are very severe, but guess what? It's not enforced. The way it's controlled is indirectly because the lenders pick up on what's going on when they people don't make their car payments. So a man comes in to buy a car and he hasn't got a job. He lies and says he's got a job. They fill that out on the, on the thing. They, they, they counterfeit with Adobe Photoshop, the W-2 forms and the 1099s, he comes across as making 100 grand a year and he hadn't worked in three years. And so you sell him a car, guess what? He doesn't make the payments. Car goes back, the lender suffers a loss, and he says, why is this dealer that I'm doing business with sending me all these people that have supposedly good credit, but they don't make their payments? And they cut the dealer off. But then the dealer goes to another lender and fools them for a while. So. Uh, yeah, uh, be very careful. You can be on the hook yeah. uh, if there is misinformation on your credit application. Be sure you sign it, be sure you get a copy of it, and be sure you read it carefully. If you're being misrepresented, unfortunately, not to go on and on, oftentimes misrepresentation is the buyer of the car because he's trying to get credit. Well, there's, there's a third uh, potential culprit in that too, and that's the actual buyer at the bank. Yeah. Uh, they have now. Not, obviously, it's not the owner or the CEO of the bank is aware that's going is on, but they have buyers, and these are the ones that review the credit yeah. applications and make the decisions on whether or not to give a loan or and not. And they have brokers uh, that yeah. you deal through. They're not even lenders, and they get the deal bought and they shop it around till they find yeah. a lender that will buy it, and they phony up things. So it's, it's a, there's a lot of collusion between mul multiple players, and yeah. it's very fraudulent. And then this anonymous uh, texter hit the nail right on the head. We have one more, and I think we can go over to the mystery shopping report, um, even though it's a very long, open-ended question. When shopping for a new car, how do I find a good salesperson? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, don't go on instinct. Don't go on whether you like the person or not. Uh, I'm not really sure how you find a good salesperson. I don't even know if you go on a referral or not. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, you, you, you can't go on the basis of likability. Uh, if, they're, if they're smooth... And you, and, and you love your salesperson, that's almost a bad sign. Uh, I'd go, you have to go on the reputation of the dealership. A boring salesperson would be good. Well, <laughs> maybe. You know, it, it's amazing, word of mouth, how that travels. Yeah. That is, uh, that's one Well, that's a good point. We, we mention salespeople on this show in Mystery Shopping Reports, and we say this is a good, uh, a good honest person. Uh, if you have a friend that bought the same uh, bought a car every year, you respect the friend's ability and knowledge, and they bought it from the same salesperson, I would follow that salesperson wherever you went. But there's no, there's no objective uh, hard place where you can really get the information. Uh, beware. And, and shop online. Try to keep the salesperson out of the equation. You should have the price and everything set online, and you go in, the salesperson is simply uh, processing the transaction. Yeah. Or, or product knowledge, teaching you how to use the car. Uh, salespeople should not be part of the pricing, but they are. And you can't trust most salespeople. 
Yeah, you, you walk in and if you click with them, fine. And if you don't, yeah. you just turn around or you ask for somebody else. Right. Simple and as that. Exactly. And now to illustrate that point, Earl will go to the mystery shopping before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're all excited over this one. Perfect segue. Always excited over the mystery shop from. Um, we're going. This is the Nissan dealership. Oh yeah. Hmm. This is going to be exciting from Tennessee. Murfreesboro. Never heard of it. Murfreesboro, Tennessee, suburb of Nashville. Uh, to, today we set the record for the longest distance mystery job in the history of the show. Agent Lightning traveled, and that's our female shopper, mystery sh uh, undercover agent, uh, traveled 809 miles to Murfreesboro Nissan in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, in the Nashville metro area. The previous record was 601 miles back when Agent X, uh, our, our original shopper, uh, drove all the way to a Florida panhandle, investigated Alan Turner Hyundai. Our expose this week is especially interesting. Not only will we get a peek at car dealer behavior in a distant state with a very different culture, we'll also get a chance to see if Tennessee Nissan dealers are as crazy as Florida Nissan dealers. We've established a pattern of anti-consumer behavior at nearly every Nissan dealership we've investigated. On this show, we've discussed some of the structural reasons for this, including the practice of clustering, uh, kind of like monopolizing a market. One dealer will own all the dealerships in a particular geographic area, and they might even have different names. You don't know that. And that's, to me, uh, anti-competitive, and it really uh, is like a license to steal for the dealer. Uh, another thing with the Nissans is the manufacturer, Nissan, is very abusive and has punitive rules in for the dealers to get volume, unrealistic volume. And when you push a uh, dealer too hard to get volume, he's going to get the volume if he wants to survive, and he'll get it any way he can, and it might not be good for you, the buyer. That's what's happening to Nissan. Agent Lightning uh, brings us our report this week after having to abort her mission last week. Uh, to the massive winter storms. I mean, we know about those, don't we? That wreaked havoc. It's wreaked havoc, as it's too. Wreaked havoc All right. across the U.S. after several days week. of heavy snow and, and, and temperatures in single digits. All Nashville area car dealerships were closed down. And so Agent Lightning had to, well, I guess she was going to be there anyway. So she did it the following week, and here we go. The mission was patterned after our recent mystery shop of West Palm Beach Nissan, where Agent Lightning tried to get them to honor an ad promising 6504 bucks off a new 2020 Altima, and they didn't do it. They said they would, but they didn't do it. Mm -hmm. Murphy's Bureau, that's a mouthful, Murphy's Bureau. They Burrow. agree, they, they shortened it to Borough. Oh, Borough, that's right. Borough Nissan also had an ad for a new Altima. That's probably why they did it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, only their offer was for 8000 <laughs> $8,750 off MSRP. Oh, man. Uh, if it ain't, uh, you know, if you get uh, forget about it. It's just, it's so ridiculous. Why do people believe it? But they do. Agent Lightning uh, saved the ad on her phone. Smart thing to do. Made her way across Rutherford County to her target. Here's the report, speaking as if I were Agent Lightning. Arrived at the dealership after wandering around the lot near the front door for 10 minutes. I was finally greeted by a salesperson he introduced himself as Patrick. He was not wearing a mask. Patrick asked me what brought me in. I replied that I was looking for a 2020 Altima. I did not mention that I had been uh, that I'd seen this ad for $8,750 off. I asked him if they had a decent selection of 2020 models. Now that 
Now that's it's uh, 20, no, 2021. Patrick assured me that he had plenty in stock. Uh, I think it's observed here further about the mask. I Googled that when I got to this point when I was reading the uh, mystery shopping report earlier this morning. Uh, it's interesting that Tennessee has about a 10% COVID infection rate uh, compared to Florida, which is about 5%. So uh, all the dealers that we shop now in Florida all wear masks. And in Tennessee, we went to this place, nobody's wearing a mask. The only person wearing a mask was one customer. Now, can you believe that? 10% infection rate, that's pretty serious. And uh, here we have Tennessee, a different culture, outside of Nashville, just, you know, people are bopping around without masks. Why do they do that? I don't know. And they, they have a mask mandate that officially ends on April 28th, so they're violating the Rutherford County yeah. law. Yeah. Uh, instead of heading straight to a desk, uh, like I'd come to expect, Patrick led me outside to find the Altima. That's highly unusual, bad salesmanship. Uh, we walked the inventory until I spotted a white one with the same MSRP as the one in the ad, 26530, same MSRP. Very sharp, uh, Agent Lightning. There was no addendum label, that's a plus. Might be the last plus you hear, but I don't want to give it away. Patrick did not offer me a test drive, another bad salesmanship. We went inside, the showroom was very dated, shabby, uh, country music blared from overhead speakers, long fluorescent lights, uh, about half of which are not working or flickering. Kind of like a really cool place, right? Yeah. Uh, dim, dingy, covered. You, can, sh you can show the picture, it's, it's pretty. Yeah. And as I said earlier, one person wearing a mask, and that was a customer. And, uh, and probably Agent Lightning, and this too, because she was wearing, yeah, a mask, she's right? wearing a mask. We sat, Patrick sat uncomfortably close to me. I scooted away from him. He asked me for all my info, wanted to know how much money I was putting down. I said that if I financed, I had $2,000 to put down. I said I wasn't sure if I was paying cash for financing, though. He wrote everything down on a sheet of paper. No computer. <laughs> I know they have computers in Tennessee, so let's not, let's not <laughs> no, make those yeah, Let's not paint the whole state uh, negatively. I asked Patrick what kind of a discount I could expect off MSRP. He told me not to worry about that. He would be getting me a great deal. That, that really relaxed me. When you hear that word. When I heard that, I knew everything was going to be okay. <laughs> At one point, a young woman and customer approached him. Oh, a young woman, customer approached him. Okay, yeah. Patrick excused himself and said he had a delivery for a car he sold earlier. He left with a woman, said he'd be right back. I'm surprised they're selling any cars at all, but they are. Uh, he was gone for 10 minutes, sat back down. He must have a timer, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Yeah. Well, yes, it he showed me that he was all mine now. Well, that's a relief. He said he needed to take my info to the computer, enter it into the system, and he left for another 10 minutes. They do have a computer, you're right. Mm -hmm. After he returned, he had a familiar-looking worksheet. Uh, the top line labeled market value selling price. We see that all the time. And that happened to be the same as the MSRP. Usually isn't, but two days in a row or two shopping reports in a row it has been. MSRP, 26530 The next $1,250 discount. What? And that made my adjusted price 25280 Then he added borrow care. I didn't know what that was until I realized they'd shortened uh, right. Murphy's Borough. Uh, and here's borrow care. $2,495 for a window tent, nitro, that's nitrogen on the tires, wheel locks, 
and four mass. Man, oh man, oh man. That whole package may be 500 bucks. It's only overpriced five, 500%. Uh, probably about $2,000 as to what the value of that whole package would be. Next came, $795 dealer dock. And uh, that's like if you have an accident around there, right, they call the dealer dock. Well, they're for car dealers. If you get <laughs> an accident, they take care of it. And here it is, $200 plus 72 cents for non-tax fees. That's another term for hidden fees, uh, non-tax fees. My de facto selling price, including hidden fees and dealer accessories, was $28,770, $2,240 over MSRP. Wow. We call that in the trade, the business, going for the jugular. That's right. when the dealer goes for the jugular. $2,240 over full sticker. And that's compared to the $8,750 off MSRP. Right. That's, that's like an 11,000 swing between the promise yeah, and the yeah. reality. <laughs> and that's, that's old school textbook. Back in the day when I was evil, we would tell our salespeople, now listen, start them high. Start them as high as you can. You can always come down, but you can't go back up. Right. If you give them too good a price uh, and, and, uh, and, and we won't accept that price, you can't raise it. Right, you've left money on the table. So if you really want to be the hero with the customer, Start it way up in the stratosphere, and then peel them off the wall, and then you could come down. You come down in increments. You go back and forth to the manager, and you keep coming down. Finally, you hit their number, and that's the way the game is played. Oh, Patrick saw the shock on my face and asked me, what was wrong? I said, I didn't come there to beat them up. I told them I saw that they were listing the exact same vehicle online for 17000 <laughs> $780. Patrick uh, made a face like I was crazy and said skeptically, really? You know, I, he I, probably, I pictured him like, really? Yeah, really. <laughs> I showed him the ad on my phone. He didn't expect that. Patrick said, I'll be honest with you. I love this. You will be. I'll huh? be honest with you. The online pricing is aggressive to get people to come in. Now, we've seen this before. Uh, he, he, poor guy, Patrick, I mean, he needs a job. He's trying to sell cars. Uh, the sales manager is responsible for this, more likely the general sales manager or general manager, maybe even the dealer, um, or probably all of the above. And he's a pawn. You know, he's a pawn on the chessboard, and he takes the beating up. He's the one that you yell at because you feel like you're being lied to. But it's the guy hiding in the ivory tower there that's responsible for this, and he's just following orders because he's got to make a living. Patrick said, okay. I asked him what his point was. Patrick sort of emphasized his honesty and said, if I'm being honest, he throws that word out again, that pricing is more likely for something, somebody with a trade. So he's basically saying, people that have trade-ins, we under-allow by thousands of dollars what it's really worth, and we call that stealing the trade. So you, you, you caught me with my pants down. I, you don't have a trade. And you came in on the air, and I got so excited, my glasses fell off. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, you don't have a trade. How am I going to steal your trade? So we gotta, we got to jack the price up that we advertise. So, he's, again, he's being honest, right? Uh, I asked him, what, what is, okay. I interrupted to point out that nowhere in the ad does it mention anything about a trade. <laughs> this is great. And then he said, it might be for a Nissan employee 
Uh, yeah, he actually said that. Uh, <laughs> Nissan employees only. <laughs> Nissan employees. I mean, is that does he mean manufacturer Nissan employees? Because that he's not Nissan. He's a dealer. He was being so. If if, he if, was a, if a guy that works at the plant somewhere in the Texas uh, that builds Nissans has happens to come out there, they get a really good deal. Yeah, yeah. and they advertise that on their website for everyone. Yeah, yeah, for Murfreesboro. Without right. clarifying that. On the exactly. Yeah. Uh, I laughed. Asked if you really expect me to swallow that. And I love Agent Lightning. I mean, she has really got, uh, uh, I got what is the right word? Uh, Moxie. Moxie, yeah. yeah. She's yeah. got the uh, chutzpah. Chutzpah, yeah. She's, uh, I was just going to say. She's got this. She's really got a lot of guts. I'll use that word. Uh, anyway, uh, I said, if you, really, if you want my business, you better talk to someone and get me that online pricing. Patrick said, yes, ma'am. I'm here to work. They always say ma'am in the South. Yes, ma'am, I'm here to work, you, work for you. At this point, you're my boss, and he left. That's right in the book. Side with the customer, become the customer's friend, make the sales manager the enemy, and get the customer to like you, and we'll work together to find a mean old sales manager, and we'll get you a really good price. Got some I, good material. That's the game, yeah. <laughs> that's the game. I waited for 15 minutes as I watched him talk to someone in a glass enclosure, ivory tower across the showroom. After all that waiting, Patrick returned to ask me if he was able to get the online price. Would, would I take it home today? That's classic, classic. Okay, if I get you the price, get a little glimmer of hope. Oh, maybe I'm going to get the price. But will you buy it today? Take it home today? Yeah, yeah, I will. Okay. And she played it perfectly. I waited another 10 minutes, timer, before he returned with another worksheet and another salesperson. Saxon. Okay. Now we got Saxon in the equation. We named names. Saxon. This time, the discount was $3,000, and there was an additional $2,250 rebate. They still added the $2,495 borrow care, the $795 doc, and the $190-109 non-tax fee. So uh, that was, uh, uh, what we got there, $5,250 more that they uh, they took off. So that's a pretty good cut. I mean, they, they just slashed the price with one argument. She was, you know, Agent Lightning got tough, bam, they came down $5,250. $2, and that's the way the game's played, and she's playing it. She's a tough competitor, playing it the old-fashioned way. My effective price on the second pencil, we call it in the trade, was $24,761, $1769 off MSRP, better, but many thousands higher than the online price. Saxon complained that the online price was only for people who were part of their VPP or is that VIP? She wrote VPP, um, so I just I just I wrote it the way he the way yeah. she reported it. Current Nissan owners and employees. I asked him and said that I didn't believe him and that nowhere is that stated in the ad. <laughs> yeah, right. But Saxon said it was in the fine print. I told him to show me he couldn't. At this point, I told Patrick and Saxon that I had to leave and I felt like I'd been played. Saxon asked for me to give him one more chance. Volunteered to speak to the manager. Jeremy, we got Jeremy now. <laughs> These are all Southern names, aren't they? Uh -huh. Yeah, Jeremy. He asked me if he was able to get me closer to the 21,000 out the door. Would I then take the car? I said, sure, plan, plan, good. <laughs> They're playing her and she's playing him. And then he said, I'm not sure if I'll be able to pull this off, but I'm gonna try. Perfect, that's the way we used to do it in the old days. 
I don't know if I can do it, but I'm going to try. Boss is in a bad mood today, but I'll try to. I'm on your side. I mean, he's tough, but I'm on your side. Between the two of us, we'll double team him. We'll get that price. I'll do. I'll try. I waited for 10 minutes, and Patrick came over and said he needed about 30 more minutes (laughs) (laughs) to finish working as manager. (laughs) So, yeah, Patrick's working the manager, and the the manager's working him, and and he's working me. I mean, what a game. He said he thinks he may be able to get get me closer to 21,000 out the door. I sort of went off on him bringing up the bait and switch and all the times he'd already forced me to wait. Patrick conceded the online listing was misleading, said he was sorry. I had to wait so much he claimed he had no responsibility. I'm innocent. It's not my fault. He had nothing to do with this. Their policies of advertising, he's really trying to ingratiate himself. He has to work for this crooked dealership. He's being honest there. Yeah, he's being honest. I mean, but it took him a long while, and his commission is about ready to walk out the door. He's fine with all these policies when the customer's not yelling at him. Yeah, remember remember that he started out probably with a, what, $1,000 commission? Oh, easy. Cut it to about 500, and now they're trying to knock it down to 200. So his his profit's going down, the dealership's profit's going down. Anyway, Agent Lightning, again, I am Agent Lightning. I sat there thinking and not saying anything. Patrick asked if we were good. Are we good? <laughs> I said, you know what, we're not good. I'm taking my business somewhere else. I got up and I walked out. <laughs> so there we are. Uh, okay. The heart of the South, uh, Nashville, in, Tennessee. Who's in the glass enclosure that uh, Patrick is having uh, the conversation with? Probably Jeremy, I guess. That was Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. Is that bulletproof? Huh? <laughs> Should be. I think they were in a honky tonk <laughs> in Tennessee. Yeah. Well, voters, let's have the votes out there. Okay. We got the Facebook. We're getting them out. Yeah, they're coming in. So we got uh, the YouTube. Yep. Linda, another big, huge F. Good grief. Pablo gives him an F. Tom on Facebook gives him an F. Jumping over to text messages. Mark, lightning struck. D plus. Very charitable. Uh, Bob on a text F for Borough Nissan. Jonathan in Wellington. More games than I have no time for. Dealership gets an F from me. And finally, Emery. I give them a good old-fashioned F for their old-fashioned tactics. I concur with the crowd. F. Rick? Uh, we're waiting on YouTube. Ah, Mark Ryan coming in with an F. Mark Smith with an F. And let's see, Richard Poplis. Uh, okay, he's, he's got a question. Um, Donovan with an F. And for me, <laughs> that's an F. That's the, just the bait and switch there was ridiculous. Okay, Mr. Sunrise, Nancy. I think I blacked out for a moment. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to Tennessee anytime soon. Somebody give Nancy some smelling salts. (laughs) I think that I might give them, let's see, an F. Yeah, I'm I'm, going to fail them too. And I I just, uh, I feel a little tinge of guilt because we don't know what the culture like is, is in Tennessee. It would be horrible if everybody was that bad in Tennessee. Maybe we, we, we'll do another one. We had a guy in our 20 group in Franklin, Tennessee, which is right, right down the road from Murfreesboro, yeah. and a, Toyota, a bunch of Toyota dealerships. They end up selling to Terry Taylor, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Um, so we know Terry Taylor's operating big time in that area, and we see what he's doing down here, so my hope isn't that high. <laughs> yeah. So what's up with the Nissan uh, product? I mean, the dealer. Well, that's the reason I wonder. I don't think everybody could be that bad. Maybe it is a Nissan thing. Hey, we only got one minute. I we mean, got... I thought it was right here. 
Okay, uh, guys, thank you for joining us this morning. We'll be right back here next Saturday. Have a wonderful weekend.